five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of Culture Clash here on the Fandom Podcast Network. We are live this Saturday night. Not only is it Culture Clash, it's got a big dash of true believers in it as well. We got a very heavy Marvel-centric episode with both Loki Season 2, Episode 6, the finale, and the Marvels having released. And, of course, you can find it all here on the Fandom Podcast Network. Hopefully, you're watching live on our YouTube channel, or we'll be listening to this podcast later on one of our great many podcast feed sources, whether it's iTunes, iHeartRadio, or Podbean.com. But we have got a ton of Marvel to talk about, which means I need some people to talk about it with. And of course, joining me as always, he is the man, the myth, the flurkin, Mr. Kevin Reitzel. What's up? Good to see you. I'm excited to talk about some new movies that are out right now. And of course, the season finale of Loki. Uh, lately, I've been stuck in 1983. Uh, doing time warp for the network more on that later but uh, uh, nice to go into theater and see a marvel movie again and not only is it a big marvel time the strike is over both strikes mm-hmm. are over and you know we've got he, a man here with us we consider him fam, fandom podcast network family but if there's anybody who is w- well versed to tell us what's been going on in the industry and how entertainment is going is of course the man who knows everything about everything with highlander and a whole lot of other things too. <laughs> the wonderful Mr. John Mosby. Thank you for having me. The check is in the mail. <laughs> well, we uh, we appreciate you coming on, John. It's- the writer of this book right here, Phil for Phil for Summer Tree. There <laughs> you go. It- Available yeah, and- from all good booksellers and a few unreputable ones as well. Yes, and this is the very easy to find signed version right there. <laughs> absolutely the difficult ones you know you can't find the the unsigned ones at all yeah the, yes. the who, unmarked ones just rare keep them there who knew <laughs> who knew that one uh ominous weekend in lakeland florida john that you and i would meet for the first time go through a very interesting process of a interesting <laughs> gathering of fans Roma. Roma. For, for Highlander, and here we are now. This is awesome. That was like two, 2016. Yeah. How far we've fallen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yet I'm still not that far from that location. So. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's got to keep an eye on certain people, I guess. But um, yeah, guys, we are going to be talking about Loki season two in this episode, but we've got a few other things to discuss first. And you know what, guys, we've got a lot of news to talk about. It's been a busy time in news, so without further ado, let's news. Okay, guys, the wait is over. The writer strike has ended, and now the actor strike has ended. It means people are getting back to work. We're already seeing people doing promotional things. Um, the cast of the Marvels and uh, the cast of Loki were out doing things almost as immediately as this was announced that they could. I know I was reading on social media, David Harbour was called like 10 minutes after the, sh- 
the announcement to get on a plane to get to Atlanta to start filming Stranger Things season five. This is great news. A lot of stuff is going to get back to work here over the next few weeks. I don't suspect we'll see too much of new material till after the first of the year, but we know things are going to be happening. Kevin, the drought is over. <laughs> yeah, we uh, um, at the last week's episode, I know, John, you were in the chat. You were breaking the news mm. and uh, you had a link to your article, which we'll touch on here. Um, I, I do want to ask right out of the bat here regarding um, your initial thoughts on this, John, because uh, Fran Drescher, who is the head of this here, she was pushing for this. Um, is she doing a good job? Because it seems like she is. I, I mean, I think in most ways she is. She's been, she, there's been some controversies um, and she's probably rubbed some people up the wrong way, but she's she's done, I think, the job that is hers to do, which, you know, is to steer it through. It's very, it's, doing any negotiations for a large body of people is a little bit like herding, I was going to say herding cats, herding flurkins even, um, <laughs> because everybody has slightly different opinions, slightly different, very valid priorities. But her job was basically to negotiate uh, uh, and to work through the process on behalf of the collective. Uh, and that's difficult for anybody to do when it's in a high profile situation like the like the movie picture industry, you are under a lot of scrutiny from everybody. And you will probably are only doing your job right if nobody quite agrees you're doing it perfectly. Uh, I think I think she did a good job. I mean, they're there. The, 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 the uh, negotiations led to an agreement, an agreement so, that pretty much all sides think is a good one. Yeah, so speaking of that, uh, we'll get to your article too, but a variety here says that the new contract is worth more than $1 billion over three years. The union didn't get one of its top priorities, a share of revenue from each streaming platform. Fran Dresser, the union president, made that her top priority, arguing it was essential to transform the contract to keeping up with the transformed industry. She sought 2% of the streaming revenue, later cut to 1%, or about $500 million per year. Uh, did you think that that was fair, that that was good? And, um, you know, what, what is your thoughts on that? I don't think the deal was ever going to be perfect for, for everybody. As I say, I, I, you know, because everybody has slightly different priorities, even within the actor's side, there will be different priorities and you know, various studio, um, you know, people will, will have their different priorities as well. Um, the question becomes, what is the priority? And I think when you manage to get most of the things you want, you probably have to say, I can't get everything. The thing to remember about this is, I, I think I might say most of this is a three-year deal. Um, so it's a little bit like the American economy. You can keep pushing things down the road and eventually they will get addressed in some way, shape or form. Um, so this isn't like a, a deal done forever. It will be renegotiated again at some point. But I think the I think the big priorities were addressed. You know, things like AI royalties and things like that were touched on enough for most people to be happy that there was progress. If you, one of the things that I think too, John, at a three-year deal, it's actually a good idea because mm -hmm. I think, especially on the streaming side, that landscape is going to change so much in the next three years. We're already going to see hints of it in 2024 now that Disney has completely bought Hulu. It sounds like they're going to merge Hulu and Disney Plus into one. Mm -hmm big super streamer kind of thing. I think we have a several streamers that are going to end up shifting around, whether they merge into something else along those lines. So I think the streaming is really going to change. And I think we are in a position where people are starting to go back to the theater to 
And the theater experience, I think, over the summer really changed when you look at like what happened with Oppenheimer and Barbie and the type of movies people are going to see in the theater. So it feels like a three-year window is kind of a great way to mm. see how things are going to change here well, in the short term. I, I want to touch on that, and specifically in your article here um, on Echo Chamber, John, you start out by saying it's been officially 118 days, second yeah. day of May. Uh, since the actors union strike, uh, which essentially brought over 90% of work on television and film to a standstill. A lot of future pro projects, as you mentioned, put on hold, some even canceled. Uh, Highlander fans got a little bit of good news that uh, um, it looks like they're on course to hitting a 2026 uh, release date. But the three-year window does this mean that we're going to have to go through another strike again? Or do you think that meetings will happen and then profit sharing or whatever it is, payments will be adjusted? How do you think that, what, how do you think it's going to go after three years? There was so much that had to be addressed this time. Uh, if you look at back, a lot of the things being tackled there, the agreements went back 10, 15 years um, as, as Kyle was just saying there, the, the landscape changes so quickly. I remember, I remember talking um, years ago. I mean, this is this is twenty years ago, probably. I was on the uh, went down to the mutant enemy set, and I was talking to Tim Manier, uh, and he said one of the things to keep an eye on is the delivery service. He said it's not so much said TV and film tends to go in cycles, but the delivery service. He said it'll be interesting to see how the networks and how feature films tackle streaming which 15 20 years ago was still we still had problems with bandwidth it was there it was coming but it wasn't perfect so to say that so many things that were being negotiated this time were over a decade sometimes nearly two decades old um things like ai have have moved forward so fast in the last two or three years that the agreements that were in in basis even five years ago are just completely stupid and null and void now um to the sense that they just don't tackle the same way that if i if you know if, you, if, if we were doing a deal about videotapes it would seem it would seem archaic to be doing that now um so i think what will happen in three years is that there will be other things addressed i'd be hugely surprised if there was an appetite for a strike three years from now uh i think a lot of the major things have been addressed and can be pursued and altered but I wouldn't. I, I suspect that it will be the details over the next you know, three-year increments that are that are looked at, rather than a, a wholesale clear the decks. You know, reorganize this completely. So, as I was reading through your article here um, on uh, Echo Chamber that you did here, a question came to mind: was with the now the more uh, money being paid out, especially regarding this this you know, large amount, 500 million or so. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's going to change the streamers um, contract lengths or negotiations with the, with the actors or, you know, the, the, um, you know, I, the I think, stars? I mean, yeah. what do you think? Some, some studios will use it as an excuse for cutbacks. Uh, the right. shrewd ones I think will probably look, at tweaks rather than rather than you know scything through all but you did say that like the length the length of series now i have to say and this is a personal thing i don't know how you feel that i often find the shorter seasons of shows actually work better you get rid of some of the fillers if you have anywhere between eight and 
13, 14 episodes. I tend to like those shows, uh, whether they're binge, you know, binge dropped or whether there's a, like, like Bosch legacy. Yeah. Eight, eight to 10 worked for me or eight yeah. to 12. These six episode ones is what's annoying me. I really felt that with the Obi-Wan series. Like there could have mm. been so much more character and story developed in that series. It, you know? It's funny you say that, Kevin, because I feel like, the six episode series were probably just movie scripts that were just lengthened out a little bit yeah, yeah. or it was eight to 12 and you feel like you're getting a genuine legit series. And we talk about how things are changing rapidly. One of my coworkers just told me the other day, yeah, I got my final DVD from Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> so save it. Yeah. Length of seasons. I was watching Bosch legacy. I'm a big Michael Connolly fan. I just read the new book. It's out. Um, Resurrection Walk, and obviously Bosch Legacy's just been on freebie. That's 10 episodes. They they dropped four episodes on the first day and then two per week. And for me, that was that was that was that was perfect. It would nice. vary for a project, but I thought that worked for that very, very well indeed. Very nice. Well, with the writer strike and the actor strike now over, very coincidentally, things are starting to drop and get release announcements. And one of those is one of the bigger franchises that had a little bit of a after developed an afterlife. And now it's seek adding onto that because we got the first trailer for ghostbusters, frozen empire, picking up where ghostbusters afterlife left off. Let me ask you, John, were you a fan of ghostbusters afterlife? I was, uh, the problem I think with that franchise is that it set such a high standard coming out of the gate with the original film that it's like several other franchises out there that you almost you can almost see people trying to be as good and very rarely very rarely i mean it has happened but very rarely are sequels equals they have to try something different um i've liked all the ghostbusters movies to be honest in their own way the female led ghostbusters you know from 10 years ago some people hated i thought that was perfectly fine but it was just horribly horribly marketed uh, and they couldn't decide whether it was a sequel a prequel a reboot you know, that that kind of thing. So I thought that was perfectly okay in its own right. Um, I liked Afterlife. I thought it felt very much like a bookend to the original movie. So for them to progress it because it did that so well makes me a little, un you know, it's just like, okay, why are we doing this? Is this, is this purely a money-making thing? The trailer, though, looks perfectly good. There's not enough there to tell me anything about the story other than it's a cold day in New York, but it looks fun. I need to know more information. I need to say the next trailer and probably get an idea of what the re real story is uh, before I can even guess whether it's going to be a big hit or not. Kevin, I know when we talked about afterlife, one of the things we actually respected about it was it respected where it came from with its legacy. And I, and I've got to say, there are some characters that they introduced in Af afterlife, especially McKenna Grace's, a character as Egon Spangler's granddaughter, who I thoroughly loved, and I'm glad we're going to get to kind of see more of her story. And as we can see, we've also got, you know, um, Finn coming back, Paul Rudd coming back as well. So they're bringing back several of the actors from Afterlife. Kevin, what are, are, are you in at least intrigued and interested in? Uh, definitely intrigued, definitely interested. It didn't wow me over because uh, it didn't give enough yet, but I think it was done that on purpose for a good teaser. And, uh, I really want to know what Paul Rudd's character was, uh, you know, 
responding to about when he's like, whoa, <laughs> <You know? laughs> as a fan, I'm like, I want to know what they're talking about. And I wanted to see more in the trailer, but I, I, it's more of a teaser. So mm. I want, one, of, one of the other things I did like about the trailer is the fact too, we're getting a new ghost. We're not pulling from yeah. the past. We're getting something new for this new edition of Ghostbusters. So I'm, I'm liking that, but still we see Bill Murray in the trailer. We see Dan Aykroyd, we see Ernie Hudson. So I'm still glad they're going to have them in there and kind of, Maybe this be the full handoff to this new cast if they're going to continue this franchise, which I think is a money-making franchise, John. And I, I think they'll mm. do it until it's not making money. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's true. They will. However, also announced is something I know at least Kevin and I are excited about. It, and I think you are too, John, because Reacher's back December 15th. Um, just the first Reacher season, I've probably watched that three or four times. I absolutely loved it. I loved Alan Rickman's role. He is what Jack Reacher should should be physically and how he per- performed it. Kevin, I know Alan, you Alan Richin was fantastic. I'm just kidding. I, I watched that series twice. It was great. Yeah. John, what were, did you, were you, you look like you were a fan of Reacher. Yeah, I really liked it. I think they got all the bits of it right. It's one of those series that knows exactly what you want, knows exactly what to deliver, and then delivers it. It was, and I, and I don't mean any detriment when I say it was no more or no less. It it was what it says on the tin, and that's exactly all that it needed to be. I didn't hate the Tom Cruise movies. I mean, it was horrible miscasting, but I think it was put. They, they were perfectly good films if you took the Jack Reacher, you know, character's name away from it. Um, but yeah, this show was just something that said, we know our audience, we know what they want. And here it is in space. Um, and, and, you know, and yeah, it's very hard to criticize a show that's that confident is that well cast was well paced. I thought again, another, you know, it was a series that didn't go on forever. It knew it bang, 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 you know, all the plot points knew what to do. Uh, if, if the second, um, season can deliver even the same i think it's a hit if it will probably hopefully will deliver more but um if it's the, if it's a rerun in many ways i think it'll still come storming out the gate and be very popular the, the thing that intrigued me about the trailer for season two is we're, gonna, we're getting something that i wanted more of is his background with his military background because he, he that um actor uh forget her name she was like you know uh you know, part of his, his uh, military background and helped him yeah. out and she's going to be back. So I think that's awesome. So I'm really curious to find out more about that. Cause I, I did enjoy the Tom Cruise films. Uh, I never read the book, so I didn't have any reference. I just kept mm-hmm. hearing about how he was too short for the role. And I get, I understand that now, but uh, I, I like the concept of Jack Reacher. And I feel like Alan Richardson has really, really done a good job grasping that. It's, yeah. If I can just say one, one thing as well, that I mentioned Bosch a few seconds ago. One thing that, that Jack Reacher, uh, the, the, the Reacher series has, that the Bosch series has, is a whole vast library to mm-hmm. draw on. I mean, this is, if I'm, if I think I might say this is the, the second season is actually the 11th book of the, of the, of the, of the book franchise. Oh, wow. wow. So yeah. they've yeah. just basically gone a little bit of this, a little bit of that, mixed them together. That's 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 you know a formidable formula to have when you have that body of work and say let's just take the best bits. Gotcha. Um, one of the things I did like about this trailer too, Kevin, I love the opening of it where he's like, "You're getting carjacked, aren't you?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean that's just typical yeah. coming right out of the first season. But yeah, you know, very yeah. excited. December fifteenth, I know what I'll be doing. So very excited for that. But you know what, guys? Before we get into our Marvel discussions, we do have a few things on the Fandom Podcast Network we want to. 
just give a little love to here, you know, because if we, we're proud of what we do and we hope you're enjoying it too. And first and foremost of that is Kevin next week, time warp 1983 will be dropping on the YouTube channel and on for the podcasting. This was a very interesting edition of time. Warp to say yeah, this is uh this is part six, the months of October and November. And uh, we get uh, Sean Connery returning as James Bond. But there was actually two movies that dealt with nuclear devastation, not just the day after. And we talk about that as well. So, yeah, day after one of the most watched TV shows of all time. And I made a case that it may have been one of the most important shows of all time. John, you're, I see you nodding your head. So I got to ask you, can you throw in just a couple thoughts on the day after? Yeah, I mean, that there was also something you'll probably have never heard of because it was a huge, huge thing in England, uh, which came out around the same time called Threads, which d- dealt with a pretty similar issue, uh, sort of suburban area in England dealing with a, a, the start of a nuclear war. Uh, that and the day after sent a chill through, I think, most of us. I mean, uh, you know, I was still a, you know, a, a teen, barely a teenager at that point, uh, a long time ago. Uh, but it was, yeah, I think people... I don't know if people who are a lot younger than us kind of realize what that tension was. My parents talked (laughs) about the Cuban Missile Crisis and how that was, you know, a a, a real time where people were looking at each other going, you know, are we literally about to go to a nuclear war and end end life as we know it? This was, you know, perhaps less frightening. It was more subtle creep towards that, but it was a wake-up call. The day after and threads and things like that were... We were starting as, as because we were, you know, teenagers. We were kind of we're supposed to inherit this world. Don't screw it up. And these were kind of the warning signs that went, "Hey, this isn't. You know, we don't. Nobody gets to survive this. It's not the movies. It's you know, this is actually, you know, a, a far far more realistic version of what would happen. Um, so very important at the time. And yeah, I hope pivotal in in what people were thinking. I was just looking up threads on IMDb. I dropped an eighty four. Uh, about a nuclear holocaust on the working class in Sheffield, England. It's interesting. I had to check that out. That is really, I mean, that's the day after is not glossy, but it's glossy compared to threads. That's probably the best way I could say it. (laughs) And of course, when we're talking time warp two, we also have to give a shout out to the queen of movie food, Lacey Adderhall, that she always brings. Yes. She joins us knowledge to the time warp. But Kevin, that is not the only thing that is coming to the fandom podcast network next week, because one of our shows that's been, gone for a while there's been a lot of things going on but hair metal returns to the fandom podcast network and you have a new voice joining you on hair metal yes we do um uh, i uh, put a call out to a uh, a guest host and uh, my good uh, my, my, my friend mike simmer who i know actually through our friend of the network kyle johnny k they oh, okay. are friends. They know each other. And uh, uh, Johnny actually introduced him to our uh, hair metal uh, Facebook group. And he answered the call. He is a teacher and a teacher of music, too, and this genre. And he teaches a class on music. And so it was nice to get his uh, insight. And the um, topic of this podcast coming out very soon is 80s rock and metal bands that should have been bigger. And he makes a very interesting case for Night Ranger. A lot of people know how popular Night Ranger was, and he makes a case why they should have been bigger. And I'll give you two words, Sister Christian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's always a pretty good reason. But yeah, so we got some exciting things, and we got more things coming. I'm very excited about what's happening here at the Fandom Podcast Network. But guys, 
it's it's time to talk a little bit of Marvel. So. It has been a very busy week in the MCU as we not only had the season finale of Loki season two, but the Marvels came out as well. So we're going to be discussing both of those things here, but we're going to kick things off with our continuing Loki watch 2023, probably the end of Loki watch, maybe period. This may, it might be shutting the door on that. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but we have completed our run through Loki six episodes. Um, a lot of confusion, some fun, some he who remains. It, it it's it's been a wild right, but Kevin, we're gonna be go diving deep into Loki. Can you hit the button? Spoiler that alert! Is, yeah, <laughs> big spoiler alert. We're gonna be diving deep into the final episode of Loki season two here on the this episode of Culture Clash Live. Um, a little bit of crossover with our true believers as well. We've kind of just joined them because there's been so much going on. But it is time to talk episode six of Loki season two, Glorious Purpose. And with that, Mr. Reitzel, would you be so kind to give us the episode synopsis? Be more than happy to. <clears throat> Glorious Purpose. Loki time slips to the moment before the temporal looms explosion. Despite his attempts, the loom always fails as it cannot accommodate the infinite branches. Loki slips into the moment before Sylvie kills who he remains, who tells Loki that the loom is failsafe, overloading it to protect the sacred timeline by defeating the branches along with the TVA. He who remains suggests that Loki kill Sylvie to save the loom, which Loki rejects. After speaking with Mobius and Sylvie at different moments in time, Loki replaces Timely in approaching the loom. Loki destroys a loom, magically revives the dying timelines, and rearranges them into a tree-like structure, committing himself to oversee the branches in solitude at the end of time. The TVA accepts the growing branches and now tracks he who remains variants, with Mobius reporting one of them has been stopped at Earth 616's adjacent realm. B15 B becomes one of the TVA leaders, Obi reactivates the now friendly Miss Minutes and writes a new TVA guidebook with Timely as co-author. In 1863, Timely does not receive the TVA guidebook. Renslayer awakens in the void and encounters Alioth. Mobius retires from the TVA. He and Sylvie observe Dawn and Dawn's children. The end. Okay, guys, so... John, we're going to get into the review you wrote for Echo Chamber here in, in a little bit, but I just want everybody's kind of initial reactions to this series finale, apparently, of Loki. Um, it's, it's been a ride. Um, Kevin, I'll let you go first. <laughs> I enjoyed moments and character moments. I, uh, As I go back and look at the first season of Loki, I wasn't a huge fan of it, but I enjoyed moments and character interactions. I love Sylvie's character. I love the Loki variants. Uh, I loved um, uh, Mobius and uh, the, the friendship that he develops with Loki. And that's kind of more of the same with this. I found this season very uh, confusing. Um, nothing that I can quite grab onto that makes me want to go, I want to rewatch this season over again, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, Maybe I'm just an idiot. 
I don't know. Maybe it's too smart for me. Fine. I'm, I'm a dummy. I'll just say that, but I needed something a little more. Um, I don't know. Like what we saw at the end of the marbles. That mm. is a perfect way to set the stage for what could and will come. This one is still kind of, eh, we'll talk about the way they could get away from one character and go to another. Um, but I don't see myself rewatching this, this series, just like I have yet to rewatch the first season. Um, Dave Mattingly, I wonder if the 616 adjacent timely variant episode meant they meant was Quantum Mania or the upcoming Kang Dynasty movie. I have read several places online that have said it is referring to Quantum Mania. So just to answer that. So I think Dave, I think Dave is going to be, I'm going to have to, I have to ask questions for Dave because apparently he's seen this more than I have and maybe he makes a lot more sense than I do. Well, Dave does like time travel. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed the second season much more than the first. I, I like some of the things they did here with Loki going back, back each time, trying to solve things, very doctor who feeling to it. I, John, I think you might agree yeah. with me there. And, but I'm also going to say too, I, I loved how they wrapped up some things. I like the fact that Mobius kind of stepped away and he went and Sylvie kind of went with him there and th th they're going to maintain their relationship for a while as well. And I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan of that. I think, this season definitely had its ups and its downs, but it had its some great moments in it too. And I think the, the big thing about Loki is that it is about the characters. And I do think it set up some things for what they might do in the future of the Marvel universe, but I think it set up some things so they can vary it too. But John, you, you have written a wonderful review of Loki <laughs> season two on echo chamber. So I want to kind of get your reactions to this and talk about some of the things you talked about in your review, because I could definitely see where you had positives and negatives. And I know you mm. spoon a little Doctor Who comparison there to one of my favorite yeah. Peter Capaldi episodes, actually. Yes. Yeah. Well, I never thought I'd say this, but I don't think Kevin is stupid. I think I think this is a perfect <laughs> I kid. I kid. You set him up, I knock him down. Uh, no, it's he's absolutely right. I think it's if anybody walks away from this series going, I understand everything and I'm going to explain it to you then they've probably got a bridge for sale somewhere that they want to buy. <laughs> I don't think it, it, it feels very much like the writer's room went, let's be enigmatic. Let's let's talk about this. But, oh, look, there's something else shiny over there. Let's talk about this now. I don't think there's – it doesn't mean I dislike it, um, but it does mean that I think that if you binge watch it time and time again, as, as I think as you just said, I don't think you get new – revelations you might spot other things or you might find other things that you like but i don't think it suddenly gets explained in any uh <laughs> dave manley Adley has a bridge for sale um <laughs> it's, yeah but that's it that doesn't necessarily mean that's not necessarily a bad thing you don't have to put you know spoon feed your audience with an, a formula that they absolutely have to get and absolutely understand you can drop stuff in there where people take different things away in fact the best projects are the ones where people take different things away from it but this uh, and i think i said in the review and, and it's it's the kind of most coherent thing i can say is that there was like a two and a half hour movie battling to get out of a nine hour miniseries it's all the ideas could have been kept and all the really good stuff could have been kept in but it felt uh, one of my one of my problems with it is that it felt like the the, the writers room kept changing their minds it didn't feel like a there was a blueprint i watch you know a mike flanagan um thing like you know the haunting of hill house or blind manor and i go oh look at the way they interwove those wonderful things and 
I don't get the feeling this was a, a, a neat weaving tapestry here. It was like throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Some of it was it was a beautiful mess. It was beautiful, but it was messy. I think those are those are all some really good po points to that. And you know, I, I've I've tr I've traveled around the MCU and I picked up a little trivia that might actually help us clarify a few things. That's right. I have a little Marvel Cinematic trivia here for us, guys, uh, specifically concerning Loki. A um, couple of interesting things that I found just for the fun of it was Loki's line, we die with the dying, we're born with the dead, comes from T.S. Eliot's poem, Little Gidding. The poem's main themes are time and redemption themes shared with the short. line, I have wasted time and now time doth waste me, comes from William Shakespeare's tragedy, tragedy play, which is the second line is badly and consequently was deposed and taken prisoner. Some interesting things, one of the things I think Loki actually did very well was some of its time con connections and how it made times. While he who remains see you soon was a foreboding setup of Kang's future in the MCU during Loki season one, episode six, the finale of Loki season two made this Easter egg even deeper. Loki season two, episode six saw Loki endlessly attempt to stop Sylvie from killing he who remains in vain, meaning the line, see you soon, could be heard multiple times. The number of times he who remains said this line in Loki season two, episode six, now has a deeper meaning as it hints at the emergence of multiple Kang variants to mirror the multiple times he who remains teased at his peers rising. One of the most overt Easter eggs in Loki season two, episode six, comes from his role as literal god of stories. Loki is now holding the branches of the multiverse together himself, which becomes manifested as Yurg's Drail, the world tree. In real Norse myth, the Asgardian folk folklore within the MCU, Yurg's Drail is a giant tree that binds together the nine realms using its branches. Loki season two, episode six, provides a major Easter egg to this by making the multiverse manifest as a Yurg's Drail as Loki quite literally the branches together. Kyle, do you know, uh, are you familiar with Yurg's Drazil? I don't know if we're pronouncing it right, so forgive yeah. me. Were you familiar with that tree at all in any of the comics? Oh yeah, absolutely. This was it's been a big key of Thor throughout the history of the comics and with the, within the actual Norse mythology itself. Um, okay. we, um it's a, it's 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 a pretty big deal. The, the the world tree here, but here now it's become Loki's created a new one that's basically the universal tree. Um after Loki assumes his new status as the god responsible for the, holding the multiverse together Together, the TVA begins its new role as a security force that protects the multiverse. Early before Loki season two, episode six is ending. B15 asks Mobius whether any Kang variants have shown up across the multiverse yet. Mobius stated that one surfaced and caused a ruckus in that 616 adjacent realm, but they handled it. This is a reference to the events in, of Ant Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, as the Kang variant in quantum in the quantum realm adjacent to Earth 616, the MCU that Scott and Hope took care of. Uh, Dave Mattingly uh, phonetically spelled out Yggdrasil. Yggdrasil. Okay. Yeah. Um, I just want to say this too. Whenever you hear a reference to Earth 616, Earth 616 is the mainstream Marvel Comics Earth. And what yeah. they have established is that the MCU is probably the closest thing adjacent to the mainstream Marvel Comics Earth. They though technically have not officially given it a number as of yet. John, you were well, if you read the, is it the the history of the uh, the MCU, the big the big 
$100 book or whatever came out. I believe uh, Kevin Feige actually refers to it officially, the MCU, as 616, which seems pointless because, yes, for all of us nerds who know that the comics are technically 616 coined, uh, I think, in the in the Alan Moore, Captain Britain stuff originally, um, it would seem pointless to say that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the same numbering. Why not just say 617 or something like that? It seems a bit, almost a bit petulant to, to, to insist that, that the MCU on screen is 616. It's it's a minor point, lost on probably everybody but the people listening to this podcast who will be <laughs> screaming like I am going, why? But, you know, most cinematic audiences don't probably don't care on those little details, but it, it seems pointless to insist on that. Yeah. Um, by the way, I agree with Dave Mattingly. Miss Minutes is the most terrifying Marvel screen villain since David Tennant as <laughs> Kilgrave. Totally. Yeah. God, totally. Tennant was good as Kilgrave. Woof. Yeah. <laughs> um, one last piece of trivia because I think this is kind of representative of everything that happened with Loki, the whole Bora Boris thing, everything that was going on. In a first for Marvel Studios Disney Plus show, the title of Loki Season 2, Episode 6 is reused from a prior entity. The title of the episode is Glorious Purpose, the same title of Loki Season 1, Episode 1. This is a perfect type title for the episode, as it is an Easter egg to Loki's overarching story. In Season 1, Loki thought his glorious purpose was to enslave those he deemed beneath him. So, I, I, this is an interesting little piece of Easter egg there, because, and I think how this show flows and the change in Loki throughout this series, it's it, it's a it's a fun little thing Marvel just did there. I, I like I, I think that watching Loki is probably a bit like reading Watchmen, in the sense that if you want to look at all the kind of oh look isn't that clever stuff, it's genuinely clever. And if you want to ignore it or or you don't spot it, that's perhaps where Loki falls down a little bit. That it's a little bit showy offy. Going oh look you know there's the connection we made. But I think you can enjoy it on a variety of levels. You could know nothing about the Marvel universe and probably still enjoy Loki on a, on a different level. So yeah, it's at least there's, there's different levels you can do that. I think. Yeah. Well, with that, that's my trivia for this episode, but it's time to get into some of our deep topics for this final episode of Loki. Yes, we are continuing Loki watch 2023. We're going to let's talk about some of our deeper topics now into this episode and dive into them first and foremost was so can we explain that ending um i got a little a few little notes here loki who we've seen throughout the duration of the two loki seasons go from villain remember he he started in avengers 2012 with the loki as that version of loki to anti-hero to really full-fledged good guy with friends and some care in his heart didn't didn't want to take that road anymore so he walked to the loom himself blowing it up with his magic as those friends wondered what Loki was doing, Sylvie put it plainly, is giving us a chance. We see Loki walk the same beltway that Victor Timely did earlier to no avail, eventually dest destroying the loom and grabbing all the failing timelines himself. Loki, as it turns out, was the only one who could save the TVA. So from the moment Sylvie killed he who remains, he was destined to need to hold the timelines in place. He's now Loki who remains, possibly for the rest of time. And perhaps M the MCU's most bittersweet ending since Avengers Endgame, Loki finally got the two things he always wanted, he always claimed he wanted. A throne served his glorious purpose in the most devastating way possible. Loki went from perhaps the most selfish evil character in the MCU to one willing to commit one willing to, to commit genocide on Earth in the Avengers to fully willing to sacrifice his life, isolating himself from his friends and family he had made in order to essentially preserve the flow of all space and time. And save the TVA. 
the glorious purpose, it turns out, was perhaps the most important one in the entire MCU, and hardly anyone, not his brother, not his dad, and not any of the Avengers would likely ever know. Um, this this was the ultimate change from start to finish in a character, and for him to basically make Loki to make the ultimate sacrifice to save the universe when all he wanted to do before was conquer the universe. I think when we go back and look at Loki, whether you find it rewatchable or confusing or not, to take this complex of a storyline and this complex of a character through this journey to becoming an ultimate hero at the end is quite impressive. And really seeing how they did it, even though they kind of went the long, confusing, twisty road of it, is pretty impressive, Kevin. Yeah, he definitely has a story arc. Uh, he was the villain we all loved. And then he was finding a different purpose. And I think his friendship with, uh, um, you know, Mobius and Sylvie as well kind of made him look at things differently. But what I'm curious about is where we leave him now. And to me, it feels like that he could pop in again anywhere he wants to do whatever we need Loki to do again. Uh, I don't see this being the... I mean, it could be the last if we ever see Loki, and I'm fine if it is. But I feel like, from the from the sense I'm trying to make of this show and the way it's ending in this kind of ambiguous way, that he could return depending on what's happening in the future of Avenger films. Because there's still an Avengers film that has Kang in the title, right, Kyle? Right now, as it stands, yes, Kang Dynasty is still an Avengers film, whether or not. It's Jonathan Majors or not remains to be seen um, because of the way they left things off here. Things could change. But um, I would like to see a Loki appearance, um, not necessarily as another villain, uh, although that would be interesting turn to go back to that. But I would like to see him, uh, you know, pop up again in one way or another. And I think from what I'm reading, the tea leaves here, that's a possibility. Well, we'll see. But John, what did you think as far as the journey they took Loki on through the beginning of season one to this final episode? That, that's a pretty it's a pretty ambitious story to tell. It is. For me, it doesn't work completely because on certain aspects, it's it feels like too short a journey. And in some ways, it feels too long a journey. You you made the point, which I think everybody needs to remember, is that the Loki that we're following is the guy from the Avengers movie, the first Avengers movie. And part of the fun of the character was seeing Tom Hiddleston in the movies progress Loki. So that what he was the kind of guy we love to hate. He was always going to be a bit selfish. He was always going to be a bit self-serving. Um, but he was slowly, you know, trying to do the, the right thing, maybe for the wrong reasons, but he became more and more interesting. And Hiddleston is, is you know, he loves, he loves playing Loki. We love him playing Loki. You know, he liked that appearance at the SDCC when he had the audience up in, you know, it, he has them in the palm of his hand, but this is not that Loki. This is the Loki from the end of Avengers who, was a maniacal villain, uh, and and basically we pick him up from that. So in some ways, the fact that he turns around reasonably quickly, if you look at the story arc, always felt like it was it, it, he get he's for me particularly this season has not been remotely recognisable as the character that we all loved 
you know, he's, he's, he's say Tom Hiddleston, great actor, Loki, a great uh, uh, character, but he didn't feel particularly in this season like this was this series should be called Loki. At the end, yes, but the series, the second season, felt like he was running around trying to catch up to whatever was going on. He wasn't a hero. He wasn't an anti-hero. He was like he was us. He was running around trying to find out, saying, "What the hell is going on here?" and trying to stay one step ahead. Um, but also, it was a, effectively, you know, a twelve-part series, which, as we, I think we've all said, might work better, you know, as a movie, as a shorter time. So it was the momentum that got me. The story is fine. Turning a villain uh, or you know, an outright villain into something much more enigmatic is always good drama if you have good actors and a good story to tell. You've got, you've got Negan in The Walking Dead. You've got, I suppose, it's always mythos in the Highlander uh, the mythology. It's much more interesting to have somebody who you don't know is going to do the right thing. Heroes are boring quite often if they ride in on a, a, you know, with a white hat and a steed and and always a righteous. You want, like, I think most of us, I want our heroes to be a little bit, a little bit darker than that, a little bit more challenged than that. And I like Loki, but I did feel that the journey was either too long or too short, depending on which perspective you looked at. Uh, it's not that I didn't like the journey, I just didn't like the vehicle, if that makes sense. Right. I think David actually brings up a pretty good point here about buying Loki's face turn because he was, he thought he was the God King and saw off a drawer full of infinity stone paperweight infinity stones that shook mm. everything that he thought he knew. So I think, I think that's a good point in mm. the effect that had on Loki. One of the things for me with this was it was the change in Loki's character because like the comics, and even though they don't say the name per se during the season, mm. it's, they've said it in reviews and other things, Marvel's put out. Loki went from being the villainous God of mischief to now the, like in the comics, the God of stories. And mm. so he's kind of keeping the stories alive by holding on to these broken timelines, which leads me to our next topic. Um, guys, was that a tree? Cause yeah, uh, it's, it, it's definitely something, but, um, your may look like a word that happens when somebody accidentally smacks their keyboard with a fist there, Kevin. Um, <laughs> but it's actually a vital concept in North cosmology fitting in nicely with the themes of, Thor and Loki that essentially represents the space and balance between life and death. It's figured into the MCU before, and we see it here in action after Loki saves save the timelines with his very powerful god level magic. His new timeline structure takes the sh same shape of your drill, otherwise known as the Tree of Life. This isn't the first time this concept has made it into the MCU. In Thor, Thor he told Jane that Earth is one of the nine realms linked together by the tree of life in captain america the first avenger you could see a drawing of your on a cave wall helped which helped the red skull find the tesseract it was also seen in what if and in a dream sequence in thor the dark world so also also seen in lord of the rings and also seen yeah. in avatar yeah <laughs> it gets around yeah well, I, I, th I think it's fitting that they use this shape considering it was loki who was doing this and obviously it's very very influenced and um yeah, Loki does have a tie with this in the actual Norse mythology, as Dave was so kind to point out. In Norse mythology, Loki was imprisoned in the world tree until somebody shed a single tear for him. So that, that's one of the Marvel movies coming up. You know that somebody from Marvel saying, I've got a great idea from that. I really yeah. appreciate Dave being in the chat. Thank you, man. 
<laughs> you you have helped Kevin immensely during this movie, season two. I have, to, I have to say that I mean, particularly with the with this imagery as well. The one thing when I've been reviewing Loki each week that has been getting like top end marks is the production design and the visual yeah. effects. I don't think yep. anybody can argue that they they no. haven't blown that out of the park. That's amazing. Production stuff. design has been amazing. It's one of the things that keeps mm. me going with it. I love it. Mm. Yeah. Well, guys, up next. Let's talk about He Who Remains, a.k.a. Kang, or a.k.a. Jonathan Majors, or whatever you want to say. But Renslayer, maybe? Who knows? <laughs> Miss Minutes? Well, yeah. <laughs> the Loki finale also gave Marvel an interesting option, if they should choose so. They can completely close the book on Kang the Conqueror, He Who Remains storyline. After Loki saved the TVA, we pick up after, and we see a normal functioning TVA day. Hunter B-15 and Mobius are working Business as usual, but rather than pruning entire timelines, they seem to be instead focused on tracking and pruning he who remains Kang variants. They even reference the events of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, referring to a variant who caused a ruckus on the 616 adjacent realm, also adding it was handled. If Marvel does not want to move forward with Jonathan Majors and missed his legal troubles or doesn't want to move forward with Kang at all, they could pretty much close the story here. Uh, I agree with it. I think I think Marvel did the right thing here because I I'm, I'm going to say it and I've said it before. I love Jonathan majors as an actor. I, I thought he was, um, he's been great in what I've seen him in. He's, he put himself in a bad situation. Hopefully, you know, the truth will be revealed that and we'll go forward. Kang is, can be an interesting character if done properly. I think, I, I think he can do it, but should Marvel decide they want to distance themselves from Jonathan majors and maybe the confusion of Kang, because Kang is a confusing character as well. Um, they've they've got themselves an out to go either direction here, John. Totally, I was I, I was a bit mystified because I was slightly worried, uh, as a lot of people were before the finale. Uh, various reports, various people on you know anonymous uh, people inside uh, Marvel and and Disney were saying, "Oh no, you know it's it's we've written ourselves into a corner now and." We're doubling down on the finale, and Marvel could be in real problems, you know, because of. And I afterwards sat there watching, going, "Well, that was, yeah, that that those comments were a bit mis either mis deliberately misleading or a complete load of rubbish." Because the at the end of the day, as you said, they whether it's for you know fortuitous or blueprinted, they've left themselves a hundred options as to where they could go. They could recast, which Marvel have done before which might not be the best option, but it might be the easiest option. Or you can literally change the narrative of the story. You know, you can say, hey, Mr. Hiddleston, here's lots of money. Come back. We need you. You know, and that could happen. Jonathan Majors, I, can't, I mean, I can't make any comment about, the, you know, the allegations against him. They're serious. I, I All I can say, any of us can say, is we hope the truth will out whichever way that goes. Um, but I don't think, I think Marvel are in that, unenviable position right now um of waiting for the resolution of a lawsuit you know we're in that kind of era lawsuits everywhere for everybody and everybody's kind of looking at each other going i wonder how this is going to end up marvel will be sitting there watching you know with bated breath and, and thinking we don't know what we're going to do until the, you know until this is all sorted but they do have some luck working for them because of the writer's strike. There's only one Marvel movie coming out next year, and it's not really a kind of Marvel mainstream movie, Deadpool 3. That's the only Marvel-related movie, TV stuff, but 
no movies coming out next year apart from that. So they have a little bit of breathing space and it's they've had a lot of bad luck and a lot of good luck that counteracts it. So they've got a little bit of latitude before they make any decisions, I think. I, I agree with you, John. Now, Kevin, I know you have not been a fan of He Who Remains King from the moment he appeared on screen. You were not a fan of the portrayal of him in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I actually like that because that was probably the closest to the King, traditional King comic book we've, version we've had. But they, 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 they have definitely given themselves an out. They could bring Jonathan Majors back if everything clears out and go forward that way. They could go in a different direction. I think one of the other things is, too, is they've given themselves some options. Uh, Dave Mattingly has the theory of Ravona Renslayer as a Kang variant. She kind of established she was <laughs> Kang's partner and yeah. probably more ways than one. But what would you like to see, Kevin? Would you like to see him just kind of forget about this and go in a totally different direction or see what they can wait and I, see what I'm happens with Jonathan? I'm a fan of Gugu's uh, portrayal of Ravana Renslayer. I would love to see her more, to be perfectly honest with you. I would, if she were to take on the Kang mantle, I would be fine with that. I think that would be really cool. Uh, I mean, really, anyone could be a Kang variant, right? Mm. I mean, you know, is this another way to bring Loki back? I don't know. But uh, um, I, I think. Uh, to me, as as someone who I found kind of more threatening, besides Miss Minutes, <laughs> uh, is Renslayer. I thought she was fantastic. Yeah, uh, yeah, and then, like I said, she would be a great option too if they wanted to bring back. I think one of the big things is too because it's very obvious that um, Disney and Marvel are kind of trying to figure out their own direction after these strikes and real and Bob Iger back back at Marvel. And Disney and him saying he wants to put the focus on quality and not quantity. So I think there is a little bit of a pause button there right now where they can go in different directions. The, 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 well, the one thing that's interesting, I think one of the things that you were saying, you know, Kang was very much like the comic. The one difference, perhaps, between the, one of the many differences, I guess, between the comics and the films is comics have, have been around for so many decades that you have to keep, it's a bit like, Bit like in, in Doctor Who, where you know is the master ever really dead? You, you, there's there's cycles in the comics. In cinema, so far with the MCU, when somebody dies, there are exceptions, but generally you don't want to necessarily say this person's been obviously killed, and then in the next uh, next film, here they are again. The problem with he who remains in Kang is it's been set up that there are infinite versions of him. So almost every time you use Kang as a villain, even if you win, ha, here's another one. It's like having to fight an infinite conveyor belts of your of, of a bad character. Well, you're either going to have two things, one major thing happening there, which is kind of audience fatigue on, really? You know, he's back and you've killed him again and he's back and he's killed him again and he's back. It, it dilutes, I think, by the time we get to Kang Dynasty. If uh, you know if he if Kang has appeared anywhere else, it's like how many times have we killed this guy? It, and it it loses, I think, just a little bit of that. It works in the comics, but if you introduce a villain that you cannot kill permanently, then you immediately kind of you lowering the stakes of it, as it were. Um, and I think that's my problem with the character. I'd liked Jonathan Majors' interpretation, various interpretations. You know, Victor Timely. He Who Remains, Kang in Quantumania, which I wasn't a huge fan of the film, but clearly a talented actor. 
I just don't know how many times I want to see Kang, you know, rise up saying I cannot be defeated and then killed. Yeah, I, th- I think it's an interesting problem with that character. Uh, there's a few ways I think they could get themselves out of it if they would continue to use Kang to mm-hmm. solve that problem. But I think it's going to be interesting to see if it plays out. They brought up using Doctor Doom. Doctor Doom, I think, is a big plan for the MCU because Secret yeah. Wars is coming and you cannot do Secret Wars without some kind of mm-hmm. version of Doctor Doom. I have always been of the theory that Kang Dynasty was going to lead into Doctor Doom doing something to help defeat Kang, which would then trigger the events that lead into Secret Wars. But that's yeah. just my personal feeling. But there is one more topic I want to talk about before we close out our discussion on Loki, and that is, of course, the amazing Tom Hiddleston, who has made this, owned this role. He has been on this, been this character. The only person I think that can equal the time of it at this point is Hemsworth as Thor. Um, and uh, he has just made Loki one of the most popular and one of the most beloved characters in the MCU. What, no matter it seems what version of him you've got, and he's had some interesting things to say since this episode came out and the writer strike or the actor strike ended. Um, the big one that everybody's been focusing on is that it's the conclusion of season two. It's also the conclusion to season one and two. It's also the conclusion to six films and twelve episodes in fourteen years of my life. I was twenty nine when I was cast. I'm 42 now. It's been a journey. Um, he's mm-hmm. also got, he also had a couple other quotes in a few, few different places. I do think the finale there, there are echoes and resonance of every version of Loki that I've played. And I think without spoiling the episode is, which is called glorious purpose. If you remember in the first Avengers film, Loki comes down to earth, looks straight at Sam Jackson as Nick Fury and I, and I say, I'm Loki of Asgard. I'm burdened with glorious purpose. And he's arrogant and he's hubristic and he's entitled and he is puffed up and he's going to take over the world. Mm-hmm. He also went on to say, at the beginning of season one, Moby is played by Owen Wilson, the best ever, he says. He basically shows Loki that the glorious purpose was a fallacy and that he gets kind of a second chance. And I think that was the most exciting thing about this show was seeing Loki try to rethink and rediscover the sense of purpose, which we can all relate to. I think we all wonder if we're in charge of our own story. Can a leopard change its spots? Do we have any free will? And in exercising your free will, will you make choices in your own life? Either you get a black coffee or a latte or a cappuccino. That's a choice. I mean, it's a small circle. Every choice you make adds up to the picture of your life. And you do those choices and do those choices inform your purpose. And I think all of us as people want happy lives, but we also want lives with a purpose. And that's really what the show is talking about. So the question is, guys, are we done with Loki? I mean, Hiddleston has run this um, route longer than pretty much anybody else but Hemsworth, as I I just said. But Mm. he's probably been had more screen time, I think, than anybody else in the MCU at this point as well. And I mean, he is a key cog in it. And but I don't blame him if he's ready to step away. He's like he said, it's 14 year journey with Loki. So. Kevin, I'll start with you. Do you think we've seen the last of Hiddleston? Honestly, I hope not, but I wouldn't be surprised if we did. And I thank God when he uh, went into audition for Thor and didn't get it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can't see anyone else as Loki, and uh, I will miss Tom Hiddleston. Uh, he is just perfect in this role, and it's very iconic for him, and he'll always be known as it, and I think that's a good thing. I hope we see him again. John, what about you? You think Hiddleston is done as Loki? Um, I think for the moment, yes. Um, and I think it's a very smart move on on Tom Hiddleston's part because on pretty much every level, it's the right thing to say and do right now. Uh, on a creative level, 
right now there's very little more you could do with Loki. Yeah, I'm sure you know if if they give a green light to yeah Loki season three, they can find something. But there doesn't seem to be anything achingly ready to be told, essentially to be told right now. Um, so it would be a good time to press the pause button anyway. As an actor, he's as he said, he's had you know he's it's a, one of those characters that comes along very rarely, if at all, in an actor's career where they get the, to play the long game and to play wonderful beats within that long game. Um, but I don't, yeah, I, I, I suspect it takes a lot of time. We watch it for an hour a week. You know, he, he commits, um, well, has committed most of the last fourteen years in some way, shape, or form. He's done other movies, but this is certainly the thing he's known for. Um, so I think on a, on a, on a pragmatic cold level, it's also a great thing to say right now, because if they do want him back at some point, it's a great negotiating tactic to say, no, I don't think so. And they're going like, yeah, but we really want you. Mm, I don't know. Um, so, you know, it's like Robert Downey Jr. in a way, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is in a great position. If they ever want to bring back Iron Man, he can turn around and say, uh, you're gonna ha- you know, you're gonna have to fill me on a, a whole variety of things on a creative level, you know, a time level, a monetary level. Um, and Tom Hiddleston clearly wants to do other things, so it's a great time to step away. Um, creatively, I think the the MCU is going to have to find a little bit well that way it wants to go. But it's it, it, yeah, Tom Hiddleston is kind of one of the last remnants in many ways of of the original MCU. He was there with all the heroes, even though he was a villain. So it's it's an important, pivotal moment. But I think he, for his health, you know, and his general you know, creative side of it, yeah, he's, yeah, he's picked the perfect time to step away. I don't think we'll see him as Loki anytime soon, but I certainly, as, as, as Kevin said, I wouldn't rule out somewhere down the line, just as I wouldn't rule out anybody who's been in the Marvel, uh, you know, the MCU, appearing again, whoever they are. I, I think he's had a phenomenal run as Loki. I think he is ready to step away for a little bit, bit um, enjoy his family, enjoy doing other projects. Um, he's nothing he can do at this point would get him. I, I would say he's probably one of the top three most universally beloved characters to come out of the MCU. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he is also just an amazing actor who I want to see doing other things mm-hmm. as well. But, you know, he has before he left. He did make the um, MCU it all in the family thing, Kevin. Um, oh, did you want to talk about that now? <laughs> yeah, we might, we, we might as well because you know he he's leaving. But before he left, he got his wife into the MCU. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. his his wife plays the villain in the new Marvels movie. Yeah, so they, they, they've made it a family affair. They've done it as a family. They're ready to move on to other things. We're going to talk more about his wife here, here in just a minute. But before we finally close out on our Loki talk, guys, I just kind of want to give it, everybody a chance to kind of sum up Loki. Because for me, I'm like Kevin. I wasn't a big, huge fan of season one, but I've thoroughly enjoyed season two. I think I, I think they did some great things in season two with some storytelling and time travel tricks that I really enjoyed. I think it's one of the most unique things the MCU has ever done, good, bad, or otherwise. Um, and I, I really hope it's something that I know that the directors of season two have been cast, have been brought in to become part some of the main directors on the new Daredevil Born Again series with all the rewrites that are going on there. There, so I think I think that Marv Loki represents a 
hopefully when it's all said that a change in the Marvel process, at least on Disney plus on what they're going to do with Disney plus. And I think I'm hoping that we see more, at least original things happening with like Loki did. And I think Loki is, go- is for a lot of people, a standout series for the M for Disney plus, because it was so different than everything else. Kevin. Uh, you know, it's interesting how, when a movie or a series comes out and it references a previous movie or series, whether it was considered a fan favorite or not, but it makes you go back and watch it with different lens. Uh, like uh, what Endgame did for Thor, the dark world, you know, you look at Thor, the dark world a little bit differently now. Uh, and uh, you know, when I was uh, kind of doing my own little rewatch, I went back and watched Hulk a little bit differently as well. So I, you know, I don't plan on rewatching this series, but uh, I hope that there's something that happens in the future of the MCU that goes, Oh, maybe I should go back and check out that episode or, you know, give, give Loki another rewatch. As much as I love Hiddleston's performance and his, the wonderful cast that he got to work with here, um, I would like to see some of these characters reappear again to give them a little more, not value or substance, but um, really kind of make them like Sylvie would be a good person to see again in one way or another. Uh, even um, uh, Mobius, you know, not to just have them in the series, but to have them in a movie or an appearance in the movie or something like that would, would be really nice to see. John, what about you? I know you talked about this some in your article too, but yeah. what, what, what were your here. overall thoughts? Yeah, I mean, same here. It's the kind of thing that I don't, I, I have no desire to see it. To I mean, I will watch it if it happens at Loki season three. But I would rather almost, and I don't think they would ever do this, but it's, but it would be kind of fun. Uh, if you ever read the the original Ultimates comic uh, that mm-hmm. Brian Hitch and Mark Miller did, and they introduced the character of, of that version of, of Loki. But they introduced him after about nine uh, nine issues and pointed out that he'd been in every issue if you looked in the background. Uh, and there was, uh, and you know, the, the one person sitting at a table behind Captain America was lo- clearly Loki if you went back and looked, uh, but you weren't looking. I would love it kind of if, if the MCU occasionally just put some of these characters in the background uh, and didn't, and th- there's no explanation. You know, why are they there? Are they important to the plot? No. They just walk across the frame in the background, and if you catch it, it's like it's a little chef's kiss. Like, oh look, they're still around. They're still out there doing stuff, um, but not having them in the main part of the story. I would love that, um, but I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I would like moments, maybe scenes. I don't want another series. I'd just like them to turn up occasionally, you know. And if you know, you know. And you know, it means more if you've seen the series and you might want to go back and see it again. But I, I have no desire to go back and watch it again. There were magnificent moments in it, and there was some really stupid stuff in there, uh, and I didn't understand all of it. Um, and when when there's things I don't understand, I have two reactions: either one immediately go back and say, "Why don't I understand it?" or I want to move on. This case, I think I want to move on, but that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy watching it in the first place. I think that's very fair, but that is going to close up all of our talk of Loki and finish up Loki watch 2023. And probably at least for a good while, we might be done with Loki for a bit, but you know what? That's an okay thing, but we're not done with our Marvel coverage yet. Cause it's time for a little bit of buy it, buy it, buy it, stream it, stream it, stream it or unsee it. it. 
Yes, it is time for some buy it, stream it, or unsee it, but it's a little bit of a true believer's version of it because guess what, guys? We are going to be diving into the Marvel buy it, stream it, or unsee it. Um, just for you watchers currently watching, our listeners might be listening to the podcast version of this, what we're going to do is give our kind of initial thoughts on the Marvels and keep them fairly spoiler-free, and then we're going to go into a give you a spoiler warning and go into a heavy spoiler section of our discussion. So if you want, if you want to know, stay tuned. Or when we hit that spoiler break, you know we're going into spoiler things. We'll watch the film and come back and finish the show. But guys, let's talk about the Marvels, the latest addition to the MCU. These one, one for a while, as far as in the films. Thank you to all these wonderful strikes. But um, give us your initial thoughts on the film, Kevin. I know you saw it in IMAX just the other night. Yeah, I don't have an IMAX in my hometown here. So either it was drive an hour and a half to see it in 3D or drive an hour to see it in IMAX. I'm like, I'll go and see it in IMAX. And uh, I actually was looking forward to this film. Uh, I'm a fan of Captain Marvel. I'm a fan of Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. And I also enjoyed uh, the Miss Marvel series as well. And I was kind of curious to see where, um, you know, all of these characters from the tv shows to the movies how they were going to meet up and work together and i enjoyed the trailers and i found myself really having a fun time at the movies and uh, really kind of uh running along with this adventure uh it was nice to i've continued my um uh, tradition i've seen every single new mcu film in on the big screen opening weekend since iron man so it was nice to continue doing that and it was also nice to have a MCU film that was under two hours, <laughs> you know, quick hour and 45 minutes. And uh, I know we'll touch on a little bit later, but I love the end movie scene and I really enjoyed the uh, uh, mid credit scene as well. I saw this opening night as well on a double digital uh, theater about 40 minutes from where I live. I try to go there. Um, I have talked to Kevin Feige. I did not get to see Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania on opening night because I had COVID. He's given me a pass. He says my streak is <laughs> <laughs> But I want to say this about the Marvels. I enjoyed this film. The big thing about this was, I agree with you, Kevin, the runtime was absolutely perfect. Uh, it, we needed a shorter one. But the biggest thing was this is, I think the last time I had this much fun with an MCU movie might be all the way back to the first Guardians of the Galaxy film, where you were just having fun with the ride. Is this movie perfect? No, not by any means. There are times when the silliness gets a little overboard. Um, maybe too little too much singing in one spot. I'm just gonna there was not <laughs> enough singing. <laughs> <laughs> let um, it go. Let it go. <laughs> um, one of the things, obviously, to the return of our favorite Flurkin is always a, a popular thing. And I love what they did there. But the other thing was, and I think the thing that makes this movie is the chemistry between your three actresses. I think Tanoya uh, Paris, um, Amon and Brie played off of each other wonderfully. And I think more than anything, Amon was the heart of this movie. And I think she pulled out, a so much better performance from Brie Larson compared to the first film because she was she she brought personality out of Carol Danvers and personality out of um, the character. A lot of people, um, a lot of people would say that 
you know, she was a little wooden in, in Captain Marvel. I think that was part of the play of that character because of the memory loss and things like that. But having Miss Marvel as part of this and just what she brings to the screen, I, I am very confident going forward. I, I kind of wonder if Miss Marvel isn't going to be the heart of the MCU for a while and be that be that character that we really is our relatable character character too because we can all understand her fandom excitement of all of this and what what she's doing and the fun she's having but yeah no and i agree with dave ragnarok was good but i think there's a there's something else about this film that just feels so just fun for the ride and also i just want to say it's so nice to have nick fury back because <laughs> but john what about you what were your thoughts on the marvels yeah, I hate to be unoriginal here, but I, I agree with both you guys on this. I, I mean, I'd heard like like we all had in the you know in the, in the previous couple of months. Um, there was very little information, partly because of the strikes and stuff. But the word was not good. Let's be perfectly honest here. You know, people were going, "Wow, this 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 sucks. This is going to be awful. It's going to be a crash and burn. It's going to bury the Marvel universe." You know, all the negative stuff came out, and. While I, I I don't I'm not a huge fan of judging a film before it comes out. Clearly, it didn't feel there was a, a huge amount of confidence from any quarter, even from even from Disney and Marvel, it, because of the strike. Partly, they couldn't do a charm offensive, so it didn't. It, it kind of felt like oh, this isn't this is this is going to be okay, I guess, but but maybe not. You know, not not really that good. So I went in thinking, okay, let's see what we get, and maybe that actually helped a little bit. In the sense that I, you see it and you think to yourself, that that's actually fun. Oh, that's fun. that's hilarious. That's really good. Yeah, that bit doesn't work, but that bit's fun. And you come out, don't you know, not thinking you've wasted, as you said, an hour and a, hour and a, you know, three quarters or so, just less than two hours, not three hours or something like that, where you feel I want some of my time and money. Uh, I think it was smart keeping it shorter. Uh, I think. Um, ironically, the while there was some very important stuff that, that that kind of happens in the film, the best bits are the lighter bits. The best bits are the Khan family. The best bits are you know the sisterhood uh, you know that these three characters have, and those are the ones that play best. Uh, it's not a comedy throughout, but it knows when that lightness of touch is going to be fun. Uh, my argument might be that some of the weightier themes that it touches on don't work because, frankly, they need to be darker. Um, you know, certain things about uh, you know Captain Marvel really are quite brushed over here. Um, but no, I came out having having had fun. You know, it was the uh, this is not going to necessarily be in my you know top five movies of the year, but it's also not going to be in you know in the bottom you know run of it at all. It was fun. Movies should be fun. They don't always have to be serious. They have to make you feel like you haven't wasted a couple of hours of your life. And I don't. I didn't feel this was wasted. It was. It was like a a good you know a good meal. It wasn't a banquet, but it was. It was there and it did its job. Of course, we see Mrs. Hitt, Miss Hiddleston here on her role uh, as the main villain in this in this film. Um, maybe one of my few knocks on this is the fact it was kind of a. It's this Marvel thing. Sometimes we just have these throwaway villains, and she kind of. While she had some importance, I think especially with what they identify going on with Captain Marvel in this film, which we'll get into our, mm. our spoiler section, she did feel like a throwaway villain. But be before we go any further, the, the truth is, I know why this movie succeeded, and I know why it was fun, and I know who the real stars are of 
this particular film. Just behind you. Just behind yeah. you. Yeah, I got one behind me. He was insistent on being being here for this. But yes, the Flurkin, ladies and gentlemen, are the true stars of Captain Marvel. And of course, too, John, you had a um, your own review up of Captain Marvel 2 on Echo Chamber. Do we uh, do, do we throw the um, the spoiler alert on this one? Uh, not yet, because I, I need. Uh, yeah, we can we can throw the spoiler alert now. We are entering spoiler alert territory, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to be getting into heavy spoilers for the Marvels now. So, um, without further ado, Kevin, hit the button. Again, spoiler warning from this point forward, we are going to be talking spoilers and things that happen in the film. If you have not seen it yet and you don't want to be spoiled, we will be sad for you to leave us, but we'd be glad when you come back to finish the rest of the conversation. But guys, let's talk about what's going on in Captain Marvel because there's a lot of very interesting things. But first and foremost, I got I've got to take out the one thing because I think it was my one of my favorite moments in the movie. And that is the flirting saving the day and rescuing everybody in their own unique way. <laughs> Cuteness, but but still eating you alive. Um this this was one of my funniest moments of the film. I I I everybody in the audience that I was at probably laughed harder at this scene than more than anything else. And come on, Kevin, they're so freaking cute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So <laughs> it's it's yeah it saves the movie in in some ways even if you, even if you haven't liked stuff up till that point I defy you not to enjoy that it's stupid and silly and hilarious very well CGI'd and just and stupidly funny and occasionally you just need that kind of you know that stuff that's going to make you laugh and this was pretty much blueprinted to make you laugh and it it, it makes a kind of weird kind of sense you know they are like you know like organic little cute tardises. <laughs> Um, you know, they just, they just, yeah. What's not, I mean, there are certain things we can address about this consequentially that might be a little bit, mm, but yes, the sequence is in in and of itself. Yeah. Hilariously fun. So John, you have your review out on echo chamber of the Marvels as well. And you bring, you brought up some great points into it. And now that we're in the spoiler zone, we can go into a little bit more details of the scenes or things we absolutely really like. And we didn't, but John, you have this great article out. Why don't you go first and tell us what were the things that you really liked or some of the things that, you know, didn't quite sit right. Yeah. I mean, Flurkins, obviously, it's, you know, if you don't like that, you shouldn't be going to movies. You know, it's, it's, you know, partly what you're going in for to get. And this was, you know, the cherry on the top of it. It's, um, <laughs> you know, run from the Flurkins, let the kittens eat you. Yes. Okay. That, that's a mortal <laughs> dialogue. I'll never get out of my head. Um, but it's, but it's true. Um, it's, it's interesting that in a film that brushes against very dark subject matter, pop, yeah, potentially, and has certain moments in it that are going forward for the MCU, people will point back to that the successful bits are the lighter bits. You know, it's, it's, I, 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 I that's like both a criticism, uh, you know, and an advantage. I, I think there's so much that's fun in this movie, then that, that, that alone makes it worth going to see. If you're going for the darker aspects, no, not really, not so much. You know, that you, you might, there are certain points, uh, particularly about uh, Captain Marvel's past actions that I think aren't addressed well enough. Uh, and of course, some people would just be going to it because of the post credit scenes. Uh, or you know the, or the or the epilogues as it were which we'll get I guess we'll get into in a minute but it's 
yeah, it, as a it, it surprise, it works surprisingly for the elements that you think probably it wouldn't, and the things that you think might sell a Marvel movie are the things that might let it down a little bit. But at a, you said before, you know, as an hour and three quarters, it's it's a, it's a sharp package. It rattles through. If this was a three-hour movie, I think opinions would be much more divided at this point. But because it's a kind of, you know, know, not, I was going to say a fast food experience. I don't mean that in a nasty way. But in a way that you're there for an hour and a half, it's the perfect length for this film. Not for all films, but for this film, yeah. Good performances, lots of fun. Music playing a, a, you know, significant part in in a fun way. We keep saying the word fun, but that really is the, if you had to review this movie in one word, fun. It's pretty good. Kevin, what about you? You know, you can kind of talk free free to talk about scenes you liked or things you in a little bit more detail. Yeah, the thing that Marvel MCU does really, really well is highlighting the non uh superheroes, either their family or the ones that don't have powers, the family members and the thing that I really liked about this series was first of all, uh, bringing, um, uh, Miss Marvel's family into the fold and having them, uh, be a family, having them be on saber, uh, and having that family dichotomy being worried about their kid making this leap into the superhero stardom that she's doing. Um, but, also, too, one of the things that I found really cool was seeing uh, the relationship and the awkwardness of Carol Danvers and Monica Rambeau and how things were left and how Monica Rambeau uh, hadn't come to terms yet of why Carol didn't come back and how Carol had to explain why she did it. And that uh, Monica had to, uh, you know, when she came back from the blip, her mom was dead. She died of cancer. And these are kind of the character moments that really I really enjoyed about this film. You know, you can cut and paste the uh, the action adventure story from anywhere and throw in a villain that you know uh, who I did find more interesting as the story went on, especially regarding what happened to her planet and then what Carol Danvers finally decided to do at the end. But it took you know the cost of uh, our villain uh, Dar Ben to die, but she still went to her planet and fixed it, fixed the problem that uh, she had a hand in. Um, but like I said, it's a character moments. I, I love um, uh, the, the family, uh, Kamala Khan's family. I just think they're great uh, for whatever reason um, that, that, you know, they can contribute to it. I, I think is fun. And uh, you know, the biggest concern I had was the villain because sometimes the villain doesn't always work. Am I going to feel for the villain? And there was moments that I did. I thought that, uh, I'm going to, I don't know if you, how you say your name. It's Sawi Ashton, um, mm. Tom, Tom Hiddleston's wife. Uh, I was kind of starting to buy into her a little bit more as we were going. Uh, but it took, kind of her death for me to really kind of uh, have a little bit of sympathy for her. But I thought that she, overall she was played well, but again, as much as the action was fun to see the, the cute flurkins, all of that um, having uh, Samuel Jackson play a version of, uh, of um, um, Fury. 
than I got from uh, the recent TV series, which I wasn't a big fan of. It was nice to see him kind of more in that role. But uh, I, like I said, I just enjoyed the character moments between um, the, the three main uh, Marvel women. I thought it was great. I, I agree with everything you guys said. One of the things about this film that I really liked was I think they made some good choices with with this film because they decided to play up on the fun aspect on it. John, you brought it up. There's some heavy subjects in here with Keona Paris's um, Monica Rambeau and her mother and her relationship with Captain yeah. Marvel, what Carol Danvers did to the Kree Empire, getting her name, the Annihilator by the Kree, well, under, and understanding and that's, that's a, Yeah, that's the kind of thing that's that's kind of brushed to a side. That's, I mean, if you look at what, if we take the event of what Darben said, you know, she did, and what's not pretty much denied, this, you want to tell this story from a different perspective? She's the villain. And frankly, oh, yeah. that's the least successful part of the story because that's actually quite, a, a, you know, a, a, could be multi-layered, full of potential storyline. And really, again, we're into spoiler territory, it drives the villain and then it's sorted in 30 seconds at the end of the movie. You know, like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll go back and reignite her son. Ten seconds later, poof, everything's happy again. It's it's for such a dark, um, and you have to have some darkness in there. Obviously, for comedy to work better, you do have to have some darkness for it to play against. But the but the problem for me was that was really quite a dark storyline if you take it at face value. And it's almost like the C story. Really, it should have been, you know, almost an equal A story or a, a B story at least, but it's very throwaway, that aspect. Um, and again, you know, it, this is a movie that works better when you're talking about the, the emotional, familial connections, the sisterhood that the three heroes have, the family's great. Nick Fury is you know, a lighter version than Nick Fury. And we'll probably talk about the, I'll mention this as well, but obviously for quite a while, Secret Invasion was going to happen after the Marvel's release. You know, there's been a whole kind of editing process to make sure that these things don't contradict each other too much. But if you want to look at it, some of the very dark stuff in Secret Invasion doesn't play so well against this. You know, the, the people going, I don't quite see the through line here. And it's because there isn't one. You know, um, it's been twisted. So the comedy, I think, is the, is the thing that was least affected by that. Um, and hopefully that, I think that's perhaps the reason it works the best. Speaking well, I, of, go ahead, Kevin. Speaking of the comedy, I just wanted to, uh, jump in on that real quick. Uh, I, re <laughs> I really loved that they had a dancing and singing scene and that this was a thing in a planet and that she was that uh, Danvers was this like princess. Uh, I could see people being easily turned off by this. I found it very amusing because, they found a way to get Brie Larson to sing in an MCU film. And for those of you that don't know, in her teenage years, she was a uh, basically a little pop princess herself. She was being uh, basically brought up because she's a talented singer and musician. She can play guitar. She can write her own music. But she was going to be Britney Spears 2.0. Go to YouTube. Look up. Brie Larson, you will see some early videos of her. Uh, eventually she got into acting and, you know, and then won an Oscar and that's kind of become her thing now, but uh, she's actually a very good singer. If you follow her on Instagram, she's put songs that she sings as well. And I like the fact that you got to see her sing in this movie. 
It's she's 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 clearly having fun. I think that the, the music side of it was just. I know there's apparently a, you know, a, a potential edit where they were going to have a lot more of that, and I think some of the character development there was sacrificed a little bit. But the actual music element was great because it's a it's a fun. You know, it's a it's not a punchline joke, but that's it. It's introduced, people do it, and then we move on. It's a it is a kind of fun aspect. If we'd spent half an hour on that world, I think I would have bored of it very quickly, unless it was you know, once more with feeling quality to all the songs. Um, but it, it was the, it was the right proportion. It, it was like, here's a joke, here's a fun, here's a bit of, you know, five minutes of the, of the movie, five, ten minutes. That, that for me, was time-wise, was, was just perfect for that. And I, I've had Brie Larson stock ever since I first noticed her in Scott Pilgrim vs. The World as Envy Adams. She was phenomenal and did her own singing. Uh, I want to go back real quick to one of the things you're talking about, though, with the darkness of this film, too, John, because I, mm. I think they, even though they, they were heavy subjects, I think for the direction they took this film for it, they used what they had in a way, even though it felt like it was a quick throwaway fix to it, to some of those things. The whole scene with them where they're sharing the memories and then just mm. having Miss Marvel hug um, Monica Rambo and then bringing that mm. and that kind of being a bringing thing to bring them together. It was a, it worked because you had Miss Marvel there, who is this heart character, and then for it to be Monica Rambeau who gives Carol Danvers the idea about reigniting the sun on Hala too. It shows it's all about them working together and and how they all lifted each other up and made themselves this unit, and that they helped each other as family solve solve these problems. Yes, there was probably lacking a little bit of the emotional heaviness that there should have been, but there was one scene in particular that I thought was very important that. I think they could have delved into a little bit more. And it was right after they fought on that scroll refugee world. And Miss Marvel mm. really gets her first experience of the hero, not being able to save everybody and save the day. Yeah. And it kind of, that kind of felt like it got a little bit brushed off a little bit. Cause you could just see on her face when they're taking off, like, no, no, this isn't right. This isn't right. And yet five minutes later, they're into the power switching training so mm-hmm. I, but they, sa- I, they saved who they could save yeah yeah i think it's I think a man's movie i think it's yeah. a man's i mean it's a captain marvel movie in so many ways but it, it's still uh a Muz marvel movie she's she's the most valuable player in brie oh. larson's film brie, brie's very good i don't let me take anything away from her i think she's yeah, very good in this um i find the character restrictive a little bit for her but it's Muz marvel's movie <laughs> i mean it really yeah. is that she's the, the most delightful thing about it yeah, she is, and I like I said, I think she's the heart of the MCU going forward for a while. I, I had a question for you, uh, Kyle. Uh, okay, for, mm-hmm. I'm going to mention that uh, Dave Madeline says the fight in Kamala's home was outstanding. Completely agree. Absolutely, uh, that that was really really neat. Uh, so, um, Monica Rambeau's superhero name is it Captain Photon or, or something like that? Well, it depends. There's a lit. There's about a mile long list okay. in the comics. So I have a question because Kamala's trying to figure out what her slash code name would be or her superhero name is, but they never really settled on one in the film. Was that just was that done by design because they don't know yet, or they just kind of having fun with they don't know what they're going to do? What do you think? I think they're having fun with the fact she's gone through so many hero names mm. in because she originally was Captain Marvel. And when she was first introduced in the Avengers comics, mm. then she went on to Photon. Then she kind of used was using Captain Marvel again. Um, then she was, I think, with her most current incarnation. She's been going by Spectrum. 
And um, I got to, Dave, <laughs> I got to bring up something Dave just said, because I got to give him a little correction. She's probably best known as Photon or Binary. She was never known as Binary. Carol no. Danvers was known as Binary because there was a point after in the comics where Rogue took Miss Marvel's powers. Miss Marvel got new powers from a star and she was hanging out with an X-Men related characters, the Star Jammers, where she went no where she was known as binary. What's interesting though is a lot of the powers she has as Captain Marvel now are very similar to the powers she had in the comics as binary. So mm. it, it's interesting that in all the variations we're talking, you know, the multiverse that's that's uh, that's been so part of so many movies or, or referenced. Uh, it's interesting that it's Maria Rambo's character that keeps showing up in roles that reflect how Carol Danvers was, uh, yeah. you know, in this movie. And, you know, she's now in binary in the in this, you know, this se separate universe. So it's it's there are consistent references to kind of the, the, what would have been the Carol Danvers arc in in the in the comics. But is is they found ways to bring that in on each each way, I think, which is which is a nice tribute. It means they know their history and they're playing to it. Yeah. Well, let's you we brought it up a little bit. Let's get into what are the huge spoilers for Miss Marvel. And honestly, I know a lot of people are talking about the one that's the in mid-credit sequence, but the one that really put the smile on my face was the one right at the end of the film when Kate Bishop shows up and Miss Marvel pearling her own version of Nick Fury. Go back all the way to the first Iron Man film, ladies and gentlemen. I just want to show an earlier comment. I was waiting till you came to this to show what Dave says. Dave says, I wish Kamala would have told Kate Bishop, I'm here to talk to you about the Young Adventures Initiative. I would have totally fit her fangirl, fangirl gushing. She almost <laughs> does. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. She almost <laughs> does. I mean, in fact, I, I wasn't sure for a second whether I'd missed that because there is so many other parts of that speech <laughs> that directly reflects Samuel L. Jackson stuff. So I yeah. thought for a second I might even have missed well, that line because she does echo a lot of the other beats of that. So so the, 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 que the question becomes, and there might be a reason why she didn't say it, because technically they could either go Young Avengers or they could go Champions. Or, yeah. or they could go, because they had Pizza Dog in there, they could go like Super Pets. Come on! <laughs> so the Young Avengers is something that Marvel has been if you've been paying attention, they have been building and introducing the characters who are the key components of the Young Avengers for a good while now. We've had Kamala Khan with Kate Bishop. We had Isaiah Bradley's grandson who plays a character named Patriot. We've had uh, Wanda's two boys, um, Wiccan and Speed, introduced, even though they haven't, they kind of showed their powers and there's rumors that they're going to be introduced. There's a couple other characters floating out that they haven't brought in, but they are definitely setting up a Young Avengers or a mm. Champions team. And I loved how they did this with Miss Marvel going completely fangirl. Where, where did you get the clear thing that has all my information? <laughs> and, you, and she's just loving it. I, I, of course, Haley as Kate Bishop is phenomenal. And it makes perfect sense that she would be the first one that would be recruited in because of her relationship with Hawkeye and everything like that. Um, yeah. Dave brings up Cassie Lang. We have had Cassie Lang introduce his stature as well. So mm -hmm. the, the components are there. I would suspect that we will probably see Young Avengers champions probably by the time we get to Secret Wars. Uh, if not, maybe a little, maybe that's where they're finally brought together. But um, this is a very exciting time. This was a very popular book, and these are all very popular characters right now in the MCU. I'll be, I'm figuring they're going to probably incorporate Ironheart into this group as well at some point. Mm. Um, 
So yeah, I'm 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 excited for this concept. It's put a huge smile on my face. John, I, I, you've been nodding your head the whole time I've been talking. Uh, I, I'm assuming you're as excited about this concept as I am. Yeah, I have no idea how they're going to do it. And I don't, to be fair, I don't think they've actually formally said it. Everybody's just cottoned on a little, you know, pretty much going like, oh, I see what they did there. Oh, and I see what they did there. Oh, and look, they've done it again. So clearly, I mean, it's, but I don't think anybody's actually come out and actually officially said they're doing it officially. Um, but clearly it's going to happen at some point. I have a feeling at the moment they probably haven't made a firm decision of what format it would be. Will it be a movie? Will it be a TV series? You know, I think that will all these decisions are going to depend largely on what happens over the next couple of years. Uh, what what are successes on TV? There's been a very mixed reaction to some of the shows. Um, what happens with the feature films? Same story. Um, so, yes, it's definitely there. It's definitely being planned. It's definitely going to be set up um how they're going to do it i i i would rather they take a little bit of time and say yeah we're not rushing towards that we have our projects lined up for the next couple of years you know we're doing stuff in the background but we'll formally announce it as and when i don't want them to rush into it because it would be a it would be a major thing to get wrong you know this yeah. is the next generation of stuff it may never reach quite that lightning in a bottle of you know phase 1 of the mcu and the phase 2 of it even but it's um but it's important thing for them to spend an extra bit of time getting right because they can have a lot of fun with it. But if they mess that up, that's a, that's that that's the next step that that they've they've screwed up. So I, I would rather than take a couple of years and say, yeah, let's put together behind the scenes some of the stuff. Let's get the best story we can, the best format we can, and take it from there. I'd rather Marvel did less films per year and get it right than rush out maybe three or four movies in a year. Uh. I think if they're going to do Young Avengers, it should definitely be a film, but it's a great way to keep Amon active in MCU projects, yeah. building towards this in, with yeah. in things. But Kevin, I know you don't have, yeah, Kevin, I know you don't have quite the history and the understanding of the Young Avengers. We've talked about it a little bit here and there when we covered other things where these characters are interested. But you know, I know you loved Kate Bishop and in, in Hawkeye, and um, yeah, this is this is a very exciting thing for a lot of Marvel fans. Just for the record, too, uh, Haley Steinfeld, who plays Kate Bishop, is also a fantastic singer and has done her own little pop star stuff on the side. I'm just saying, I think it's all leading up to an Avengers musical. A musical. Yeah. 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 Avengers <laughs> a musical. We could do this all day. They have Steve Rogers <laughs> make it a real thing. There we go. Yeah. Of course, that leads us to the mid credit sequence, which I, I'm going to I'm going to say. I I I'm very intrigued by what they do. I know what they're doing here, but a lot of people are flipping out because it involves a certain letter, and that letter is X, Mr. Reitzel. And yes, the X-Men have been referenced officially now, but it's not. I'm just gonna play a little bit of maybe spoiler here. I don't think it's officially the MCU X-Men. <laughs> no. No. Okay, so I got a question about this. Um, okay. After Monica fixes that fissure in the time thing or whatever it is, she wakes up and we have uh, um, her waking up in a bed next to her so-called mom, but instead we see this. Kelsey Grammer returns as a beast and is uh, she's waking up to him, but then she wakes up to 
next to her mom, but it's not her mom. Kyle, which character is her mom supposed to be? This is actually a fun little moment that they reference in the film because they talk about how there's how she has conversations where it should have been with Carol and Monica have a conversation where it should have been her mom that got there first, that stupid race and all that mm -hmm. stuff. What they've done in the alternate universe is uh, or what they've done in what this particular universe is. And I'll get to that in a little bit, but Monica Rambeau was the one who piloted the, the ship and was the one who got exposed instead of Carol Danvers in this universe, except she's obviously gone the direction of being binary, which is a that character we talked about earlier, earlier. And so she doesn't have a daughter because she became binary or Captain Marvel in that particular universe. Now, obviously we have Kelsey Grammer as the beast. And if you look behind him, you see that classic silver X-Men door in the background, which leads to all indications. And I, I, I think this is going to tie into something that the universe she has ended up in is the, Fox movie X-Men universe. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, wait, 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 who's her mom again now? Her mom, her mom in our, in our universe and in the main MCU universe. No, no, no. Who is her mom now in this new X-Men universe? She's, she's the captain Marvel of that X-Men. So she's captain Marvel in yeah. this X-Men, yeah, but she's going by the same name of binary. Uh, yeah. Binary. Yeah, Okay. The same character she, she the, the Maria Rambeau, but Maria Rambeau became Captain Marvel. So it's just okay. like that important okay. juncture. Loki probably okay. just like pulled around a bit. So, <laughs> guys, I want to ask you a quick question, and I'll let you guys say that when this trailer, when the scenes first started, and you didn't see, there was a thought in my mind that she was going to wake up, and the person that she was going to see was Reed Richards. Because <laughs> what a way to introduce Reed Richards whether it's John Krasinski's version or maybe the whoever's playing Reed Richards in the fantastic four, what a way to put that out. But obviously this X-Men universe, which uh, like I said, I truly believe is the Fox film X-Men universe that they're in obviously with Kelsey Grammer at the beast. That was a little rough CGI guys. I'm just going to say that it was definitely thrown together kind of quick, but Kevin, I know you have been waiting forever for any kind of X-Men me mention in in the well, Marvel films and Miss Marvel, we got the word mutant that finally surfaced. Mm -hmm. So I guess it kind of fits that we get an X-Men tie here and that, uh, among other things, this will be a way to, uh, bring that X-Men or versions of that X-Men into the MCU. Yeah. John, what did you, th what did you think of this mid credits? I mean, there'd been, there'd been hints, uh, particularly recently, but for a while, that that there would be X Men referenced. When when is it going to happen? Rather than where you know if it's going to happen, I, I I'm a little bit like you that I that if I you know thinking about it briefly for a second, it would make probably more sense for the Fantastic Four because that seems to be further along in pre 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 production than the X Men. The X Men still seems to be like an you know, ephemeral idea at the moment. As far as I know, there is no pre pre. But pre we got Deadpool. With an well, X, there we go. So, so <laughs> definitely that that definitely that you know that's that, that's a whole bundle of things. That the one thing we'll get next year will be again slightly multiversal, which might, from rumors I'm hearing, will tie into Loki 
a little bit. We might even see characters from Loki turn up in there. So maybe, you know, that's what we were talking about earlier. Um, but yeah, it did occur. I, I it always felt like they were probably going to do X-Men because that was the one that everybody thought. And there was little clues in that, a little sort of fading X in the trailer and stuff. So that was either a chain yank or, or, or a big clue. Uh, I agree, you know, um, the, the Beast CGI, you know, um, it's a, such a brief appearance. We can probably, probably let that go. It was it was there as a bit of a chain yank, you know. It's it's still as we said earlier with everything else. It, an X Men movie in and of itself is half a decade away, probably. Uh, now it will probably I think factor in, you know, it will start appear things will start appearing particularly if we get to, you know, the idea of what we think Secret Wars is, which is a refitting of everything in together in a more cohesive universe of, of films. Um, so say not five to six years, but at least two or three years before we start really seeing an X-Men payoff. I think we're going to get little things. I think you, I agree that we'll see something in Deadpool three. Uh, again, it will be a throwaway gag, but it might be a little sort of little tease for the fans as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's great to see that it, it, it's one, <laughs> it is one of those scenes where you go, Oh yeah, but it really told us absolutely nothing. Apart from Kelsey Grammer, you know, my, you know, spent probably a day away from the Frasier set redoing the uh, the voice, which is always great when you've got that that kind of uh, actor continuity. But really, there was very little in that. That's, you know, that that was probably shot in about a day and a half uh, yeah, with three people and one CGI <laughs> person. So it's a tease. It's nothing more really. There's no X Men footage out there or anything. It was just a quick tease put together, which is fine. And you know, and that's finally the shoes dropping, as it were, that there is something we will have eventually so, you use the term use the term chain yank yank my chain harder here i need to see more okay <laughs> so so I, I, knowing some things i know and talking to some people i know first of all of course we see these great heroes ketchup and mustard up on the screen <laughs> <laughs> of course this is footage from that from deadpool 3 where we knew hugh jackman was coming back for deadpool yeah the rumors yeah, are so clearly and, and, something will happen there I truly think this is a big setup for Deadpool because here, here's what I am hearing on Deadpool. And I've talked to some, actually talked to some people who have a little in on, uh, on this is that the concept of Deadpool three will be Deadpool is going to do something that's going to get the attention of the TVA and it's going mm -hmm. to get the attention of Miss minutes. And it's going to inv involve many of the Fox movie universe characters, whatever that particular movie universe yeah. is. I think the whole intent of Deadpool three or the third Deadpool film is going to be to get Deadpool into the MCU proper and through events. And it could lead to, to know to Monica Rambo being making an appearance in Deadpool three. And maybe she even being part of the reason he gets into the MCU. I think it's also going to be a way for them to close the door on that kind of Fox universe, MCU universe. Um, I mean, if you want to talk really fun out there, rumors, there is a big rumor out there that Taylor Swift is going to show up in Deadpool 3 playing Dazzler. So um, <laughs> we, we've got that. But the fact of the matter is, is I really think Deadpool 3 is going to be that we are now in the start of the multiverse saga with what things are going to do between what happened in Loki, what happened here in the Marvels. Deadpool 3 is kind of, I think, a bigger key than anybody realizes for what is coming in the future of the MCU. And I think you people are just, Deadpool 3 is going to be insane. It's going to be crazy, which we, we love from Deadpool. 
but I think there's going to be a lot of ramifications coming out of Deadpool 3. I really, I mean, I hope you're right on a pragmatic basis because the problem is the multiverse is a great concept. It's a great way to have your cake and eat it. You know, DC are experimenting with that a little bit now, like saying, well, hey, we can have different strands and, you know, and that's fine. Not everything has to fit together all the time. Um, but the problem is that they've introduced all this multiversal factors in so many things over the last couple of years. And it's still so many years before we get into the Khan Dynasty or the Secret Wars uh, and things like that, that I'm worried there's going to be like this whole multiverse um, fatigue by the time. There's already that. that. I think that exists already. Yeah. Uh, so I, mean, I would rather, if, if you told me that Secret Wars, you know, was going to be out this time next year, that de- my ideal thing would be um, Deadpool um, out early, you know, early as it probably would have been next year. Uh, and then have se- things like Secret Wars of the Candinity within a year after that. I could probably live with that, um, you know, as a as a pacing thing. But the very fact that this whole setup probably isn't going to pay off for five years, it's not quite the same as the Thanos stuff that they had for early Marvel. There was a kind of hint that we might be doing something, but there wasn't that kind of big Thanos announcement. It's like we're dropping some clues. The trouble here is Marvel have made the announcement. And yeah. now we're waiting to get there. And that is not quite the same strategy they had. Um, it's really going to be interesting over the next couple of years to see how Marvel and DC uh, work. Because DC have been all over the place, no battle plan, fallen to pieces. Marvel are going to have to be very careful here that they are not going to let DC just kind of edge forward by default and really get the territory that they had before. So I'm, I'm really interested in all these potential ideas, but I'm looking at the clock and I'm basically going, yeah, but can I wait five or six years to find out is a payoff to this when it seems so relevant now? Yeah. Um, I think the big the big key piece, John, for all of it for me, as far as what I think more the direction Marvel's going in, I think they're kind of having two stories running at once. They have this multiverse cosmic thing kind of going on, yeah. but I think they also have this other divergent thing where they're dealing with like, the stuff with Captain America and the Thunderbolts and things like that that Mm. is happening on earth. And that story is going to kind of stay separate. I think the big key to all this is because we've heard so many different things about fantastic four. Oh, they're going to be on their own version of earth. That's going to get pulled in or whatever. I think how they handle fantastic four is going to tell us everything we need to know about the MCU going forward. I totally agree. I think, I think there's so many kind of, plates spinning just out of sight at the moment that we really need to see those but i'll be perfectly honest i'm and you know i'm looking as a fanboy i'm looking forward to fantastic four i'm looking forward to x-men but we mentioned echo uh, you know an hour or so ago and it was the point is i'm more excited for echo than i am for movies that are like three or four years away um huh. and maybe marvel is going to actually have some successes by i think as you said you know maybe ignoring the cosmic stuff for a little bit and just doing the smaller little stories. And I think that Echo might end up being just as important for the TV branch as Fantastic Four is maybe for the cinematic branch. Kevin, I, I know your big question is you're still wanting to know what happened to that big dead eternal that's been floating around in, on Earth since <laughs> <laughs> Eternals. <laughs> I, I hear Taylor Swift's going to play that in, in one of the Yeah, that, that, that could be it. But Kevin, I, I, th- I think... You know, I know you're excited for Deadpool 3, and I think Deadpool 3 is going to give you a lot of things that you've been waiting for out of the MCU. I have a feeling it is going to be packed with cameos to kind of uh, appease a lot of the fans. 
from both the Fox movies and stuff like that. And to kind of just have a lot of fun with it. I, I, I think I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. And if, did I hear you right earlier in the show, Kyle, did you say that this has now been delayed till what fall of next year, J- July, end of July of 2024 right now, that is the only Marvel project outside of echo that is officially on this on the slate for 2024 right now we have two echo at the beginning which is basically because it got pushed back because of everything that was going on and deadpool i have us oh we have what if we have the what if adam well that what if animated is actually this holiday season but i have a feeling we'll have at least another disney plus show announced Mm -hmm. between now and then and but i think as far as movies go deadpool is going to be the only marvel movie we will have in 2024 because they are going to be doing massive reshoots on the, the captain america film here mm. very shortly that's pushing it back until 2025 we're, we're looking at right now as it stands you're looking at in 2025 you're going to have the captain america film thunderbolts fantastic four and blade are all scheduled to be 2025 blade is i'm i'll believe it when i see it because i really yeah. don't know if, i think that movie could go the way of the inhumans project where it just disappears Mm. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's, I don't think they'll have and four movies in, in a year. Uh, I think is is, is going to be the you know it's going to be just as bad as having virtually none. You want two movies a year and and one maybe two TV series depending on what they are scattered through. The original plan for Marvel was to have something every week for Marvel fans for a whole year, whether it be an episode of a TV show or a film, and that went out the window even before the actors strike. So it's just save things up. I mean, I'm looking forward to Deadpool. Like ever since I saw that in the background there was the 20th Century Fox logo in pieces in one yeah. of the shots, it was just like, okay, I've always liked Deadpool. It, it doesn't take itself too seriously if you can weave, you know, weave that in uh, to things. There's so many plates spinning that can be connected at this point. It's just going to be how how they're going to be connected. I think will be the we can only look back afterwards and say that that connected together really well rather than probably project whatever's going to happen. And, and I, th- I think in general in 2024, we're going to call it the year Hollywood plays catch up. Mm. Yes, totally. So, um, okay, guys, any before we close out of here, any final thoughts on the Marvels that you want to put out there, Kevin? Uh, this is a buy it for me. I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to actually seeing this again. I'm going to try to get back into the theater to watch this again. Uh, I did enjoy this film and I'm looking forward to owning a physical copy and enjoying a rewatch. And John, any final thoughts that you want to throw out there? About Marvel, Marvel? Marvel's great fun. Go, go for a good evening out, go to the cinema, you go to the movie theater, then go for a meal uh, or a beer somewhere. And that will be a good night out. Uh, it will let you kind of rinse the, the deep metaphysical lokiness out of your head. Uh, but, you know, now I just want to see Tom Hiddleston play Doctor Who. And everything yeah. will be right with you. The <laughs> there, there we go. Well, I'll have a conversation with you later about that. Because um, just real quick for me, I think that what the Marvels is, is something that the MCU needed. I'm going to go with sports anthology here. He needed a solid double. Everything that they've been trying to do, they've been trying to feel for a while. They've been swinging for the fences and striking out. And this movie is just, it's solid. It's fun. You can just go there, have a good time, enjoy it and have the fun with it. And I think, if, and that's what we need in our movies right now. I, I got none. Formula. I got none of your quaint American sport references there, but I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, but be, before we close by at Streamer and see it, Kevin, we actually have something non-Marvel that you have seen, and I know you have some interesting thoughts on. 
Yes. Uh, just dropped on Netflix. Uh, actually, yesterday is uh, The Killer, the new David Fincher film starring Michael Fassbender. Uh, I was actually really looking forward to this film. I almost saw it in the theater in its limited run, uh, but couldn't get to it because uh, it was in like very limited release. So I just waited for Netflix. Uh, and uh, uh, my quick review is I was a little disappointed by it. It's a little slow. The character that my, Michael is really good in this film. And when I was looking at um, uh, Fincher's uh, catalog of previous films and videos he's directed, I've liked most of his stuff. There's been a few misses for me, uh, but uh, most of his stuff I've been a fan of. Uh, but uh, this movie for me uh, just fell flat because uh, it was a little slow in the way it was very cerebral. I get that. I understand that. Um, but it wasn't uh, exactly what I was expecting. And that's sometimes a good thing. That's sometimes a bad thing. This character that Fassbender is playing for me is not a likable character, but maybe that's a good thing for some people. Um, nothing really redeeming about this character, uh, which is an interesting turn to take. I was trying to find something likable about him. The thing that kind of annoyed me through this film is that you hear his inner monologue a lot, uh, especially the way he goes about doing his, uh, his stuff, his killing, uh, and trying not to get too involved in certain feelings and stuff like that. And there's a lot of collateral damage in this film. Uh, that his character takes to get what he does. Uh, I just wanted to like the character more and I did not. Um, so uh, for me, it's definitely a stream it because it's worth seeing at least once. Um, it's got Fincher, as you know, has got an interesting style and Fassbender is good. But uh, other than that, it's just a streaming. It's not a buy it for me. It's definitely not an unsee because I think you should see it. Sounds like the, sounds like the anti John Wick in a, in a good way. Um, but I tell you what I do like. I love the uh, the, the title, um, the way the, the killer logo is. I think that's that's really inspired. And, yeah, uh, he, he the, the good thing about the one thing I did like about this film is he uh, with his inner monologue that you're listening to, he explains why he does his things the way that he does it. And I would have to say the one good positive point about this film is if if you're curious about how a real a uh, hired killer would go about his life. This is a very realistic way into showcasing that. I don't think I ever want to know that. <laughs> For my own safety. <laughs> so guys, this has been an absolutely fun episode. John, thank you so much for joining us to talk all this Marvel goodness. Always yeah, John. Good to have you again, man. Missed you. We, we, we are always glad to have you back here on the Fandom Podcast Network. And of course, you can find the Fandom Podcast Network in a number of places. Of course, if you're watching live currently on our YouTube channel, thank you so much. Please give us a like, give us a subscribe, share us out. We're continuing to work to grow the channel. If you're listening to this on one of uh, on the audio version of this, whether it's on Podbean, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, thank you so much there. Um, visit our Facebook page, Fandom Podcast Network. We keep you updated on all the happenings in fandom. Um, you can find me, Kyle, on social media at akylew on X slash Twitter slash whatever its name will be in another month. Um, you can also find me on uh, Instagram and threads at akylefandom. Kevin, where can people find you on social media? Uh, X, um, uh, threads, and Instagram. You can find me at Spartan underscore Phoenix. And, of course, you can find me on uh, Facebook as well. 
And John, of course, we thank you for sharing all these wonderful reviews through Echo Chamber. Where, besides Echo Chamber, where can people find you on? Yeah, as well as that, echochamber.online is the website. You can, uh, I, uh, I'm i on uh, Twitter or X, if you really insist, um, uh, as there goes the day. Uh, I'm also on uh, the uh, the new Blue Sky uh, thing, as, as there goes the day as well. Uh, and John Mosby on Facebook. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of everywhere and nowhere. Um, you know, I'm the... I'm not the god of stories. I'm just kind of the, you know, the second right henchman of podcasting. Now, now John, I do have one question for you before we go. When are we going to see the amendment to uh, Fearful Symmetry, the Henry Cavill chapter? I would I would love to do that. I've, I've done a couple of uh, just sort of tentative reach outs to various people, uh, and I would love to do that. It's just literally time at the moment. I have a couple of other projects that I'm hoping, uh, smaller projects, but fun projects, Um that I'm hoping to make some progress in uh, over the winter. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I, the echo chamber has been very uh, you know, fun to do, um, but I, but it takes up a lot of time. So early in the new year, I'm going to be kind of reassessing what I'm going to be doing. There's a couple of books, smaller books, that I'm looking to do. But, yeah, I, I'm hoping maybe sometime next year. I've got to make it worth doing doing like a, a, an addendum to Fearful Symmetry. There's various people uh, I will be, be able to have got access to in the meantime. Um, but I want to make it worthwhile. So that that's kind of on the back burner a little bit. I think it will happen. But it would be adding maybe 20 or 30 pages max probably to, to something like that. But it's always interesting. There's always things you're finding out that I didn't know. Uh, and that's always the interesting thing. So particularly, usually just after you've gone to print or you've just published something, somebody will say something. You go, I wish I knew that before. Um, but yeah, so hopefully next year I'm going to have a few little projects and stuff, which I will, of course, let you guys know about first. Sweet. Very good. Well, for everybody else, we hope you've enjoyed this live edition of Culture Class. Thanks, Dave Mattingly. Yes, thank you, Dave. Man. I, I have flurkins that are starting to look at me very funny, and I really don't feel like getting eaten. So with that, guys, as always, remember, respect each other and enjoy your... <laughs> <laughs>